Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favourite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was something out there, all black and brown and covered in hair. Lady of Tarpath and put no, just <laughs> kidding, just kidding. This is my D, Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Um, and as you may have guessed, I will be standing in as moderator for this week's episode while Lot takes a very well deserved break. I am joined tonight with the enchanting Eon. Hi, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And the charming Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. The Classy Comma. Hi, this is Comma, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And joining us for the very first time, we have the lovely Jess. Hi, this is Jess. You can find me at Joyous Follies on Tumblr. Awesome. How are you feeling tonight, Jess? Um, I'm better... Better now that I have some wine. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we're all better with Excellent. some wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I was. I wish I was with the wine right now. Yeah, poor YD. It's morning for her, so she has to moderate first thing in the morning, guys. It's like being like a morning DJ. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> and I have my new career. Anyway, we are happy to have you on board, Jess. Um, hopefully, you have a, a fun time tonight. So, um, before we get started. <laughs> Um, I need to give the standard reminder that we are not a spoiler-free podcast. We spoil the books, we spoil the show, we spoil everything. Uh, I'm also going to give a blanket trigger warning for rape and graphic violence, as is necessary for pretty much all the episodes we do. Okay, so let's get started. This episode, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 9, Baylor. And the episode begins with poor old Ned. He's wasting away in the black cells under the Red Keep, and Varys has come to visit. Now, Varys has an update on Ned's children. He tells Ned that Sansa was in court that morning pleading for Ned's life, and he also tells him that Rob is marching south with his army. Varys advises Ned to proclaim Joffrey as the true heir and confess his treason so that he can be awarded the super-awesome consolation prize of living out the remainder of his days in the Night's Watch. Ned tells Varys he's not going to trade his honour for his life. He grew up amongst soldiers and he knows how to die. His life is not some precious thing to him. Varys replies, but what about your daughter's life? Is that precious to you? Varys then turns to go, leaving Ned alone in the darkness with his thoughts. Okay, so I have to ask. Do you guys feel like they just filmed all of these like dungeon scenes with Ned and Varys on the same day? Yes. Yes. Yes, they look identical to me. I swear they look exactly the same. Like three episodes worth of scenes, it's exactly the same. I think well, they I'm... must have done what um, I well, it's the Fred McMurray method of of filming. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 when he they did I, my three sons, he didn't. He was a movie star, and he didn't want to do a TV show. So they basically said to him, "We'll do it. We'll just shoot all your stuff ahead of time." And then you can go spend the rest of the year playing golf or whatever. And I, I have a feeling that's what they did with Sean Bean. <laughs> like, I don't know if Sean Bean so golfs, easy. but they just did all these scenes, you know, 
Yeah, because he looks identical. Varys looks identical. There's not a lot of difference there. Whatever they did, it's fucking working. I mean, Sean Bean is amazing. Oh, so good, this episode. I mean, and he was a huge. They did well to cast him. They really did. Okay. They did well to get him to begin with, and yeah, they oh, did yeah. well to cast him. Well, I feel like they just said to him, "Hey, Sean, we've got another thing that you can die in," and he just jumped right. to the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> You're really good at this. I know from watching last episode's commentary with George R. R. Martin, I want to say, um, that scene where they film in the Black Cells is actually the same set that they used for the Crips in Winterfeld. Oh, oh is it really? God. Yeah. Oh, Dark and gloomy, I, I can see it. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll move along. Um, in the next scene, we've got Rob and his men, and they're sitting outside the Twins, which is a fortified crossing of the Trident held by the creeptastic Lord Walder Frey. <laughs> now, Lord Frey, he's ostensibly one of the Tully, Tully Bannermen, but he is yet to show any support of Rob's cause, and he's actually sealed off the bridge, which means that Rob and his men will need his permission to cross the river or basically waste too much time fighting their way through. So, Catelyn says that she will go and parley with Walder. She says she's known him since she was a little girl, and he would never harm her. I love love great John Umber. He's pretty astute. He says, not unless there was some profit in it. So, if only he was around for the Red Wedding. So, Cat goes to meet with Walder um, to determine his price for crossing the Twins, uh, Walter's an interesting character. He's sitting pretty on his throne. He's surrounded by his poor child bride and his massive flock of descendants. So they exchange some pleasantries, which are not so pleasant on Walter's part. And then Walter tells his family to leave and he and Kat talk. Walter's not quick to offer Rob and his men the crossing. He is resentful of Kat's father, Hoster, and he's especially resentful of Hoster's unwillingness to marry his children to Walter's. Walder says the Tullys have always thought that they were better than he is. I mean, they have a point. Uh, Catelyn tries to convince Walder to let Rob and his men pass, reminding him that he swore an oath to her father. Walder doesn't really seem to consider that important. He kind of mutters, yeah, I may have said some words. And it's evident that Walder Frey is not a man to hold to his oaths. So, any thoughts on saying I thought it was uh, a pretty good introduction to Walder myself. Oh God, yeah. yeah okay, so I got to back you up to the beginning of this of the of mm-hmm. this whole scene where um, everybody's outside the twins. First of all, beautiful shot. Can we talk about how amazing the the effects were on putting together that the twins on the river? Like, I think that thing looked amazing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it looks real. Yeah, it really does look real. Okay, but secondly, okay, so Theon shoots down a raven that comes out of the twins. Mm-hmm. They're shooting down all the birds that Walder sends out. Yes. And when Rob reads the message, it says that it's a message to um, Walder's grandniece for her birthday. Mm-hmm. He says literally birthday. Game of Thrones. Rob, are they not, not using name day on Game of Thrones? What is. <laughs> yeah. I, think that well, I a- didn't catch that. <laughs> that must have been just a miss because they usually say name day. Right? Don't they? I thought that they did. I could have sworn they were using name day on the show. I was just like, no, wrong. You're wrong. What the hell? It was, yeah. In this case, the grandniece's name day and birthday were different. So that now. There we go. There we go. <laughs> let, me, let me wank it a little more. Okay. I did it. 
So this is another one where I love that they have used costuming to kind of like help define a house or an area yeah. or something. Like I love this weird cap thing that they have all the, the phrase wearing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how they're all yeah. in like dark grays and browns. It's kind of perfect, really. I have a knitting pattern for that hat. I bet you do, man. <laughs> and I, I'm not about to knit it, but I could. <laughs> if we post our Tumblr after this episode, we will have a copy of Kuma's knitting pattern up on our oh, God. <laughs> up on Ravelry. If you knit, you can go find one yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but talk about good casting. Oh, my God. This... David Bradley, or as I called him the first time I saw it, all I could think of was Filch. So oh, I just kept yeah. calling him that. From Harry Potter. So, yeah. <laughs> same issue, yeah. But that was amazing casting, I thought. And, oh, does anyone have the actual line? Oh, God, he says a couple of really disgusting things to Kat. Oh, um, my God. When he said that her honey's all mine, I just want to gag. Oh, oh, that oh yeah. And also when one of his bastards are t- is, is telling him to, you know, be courteous, Father, to Catelyn, and he says, I'm not going to – oh, this is par- bad paraphrasing, but – I'm going to take, you know, lessons in courtesy from you, bastard. Your mother would still be a milkmaid if I didn't squirt you up her or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I particularly loved the smack when uh, the sound his lips made when he kisses. um, Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Dude, what the hell? They're great. And how he's like patting his wife's bottom the whole time. He's just like mildly spanking her. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah, but it's perfect for being water fray, though. He's amazing. He's so good. I really just wrote in my notes, ew. Like, I just wrote that. And that's what you're supposed to feel. (laughs) So, yeah, very well done with the casting. I also think it's interesting how they they layered in a lot of stuff here. His um, resentment, not getting respect, being looked down Mm. upon, as indeed everyone does look down on the phrase. Um, the bit about the oaths, and he's brought, I mean, he's sworn oaths to a lot of people, not just to, um, would be, yeah, Pastor he likes Tully, to his bets, doesn't he? But he, you know, he's, he's sworn an oath to, um, the king as well, you know, and he's got a fair assessment of what the situation is, too. Well, what do they call him in the books? The late Walder Frey. He always sort of hangs back and hedges yeah. his bets. That's what, that's what Pastor Tully dubbed him that during the rebellion, right? Right, yeah. Because he waited till it was a sure thing before he showed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's a reason why the other families look down on the Frey. <laughs> not, he's not just a gross old man. He doesn't really have a lot of honor either. Although everybody really does, in a, in a way, respect Walder Frey because, man, he's smart as fuck. I mean, he has sure made some is. really smart moves. Yeah, and he's so old. He's going to outlive everybody in the book. <laughs> Actually, that's an issue I have because I, I think he's meant to be about 91. The actor doesn't really doesn't really act 91. He was no. around in the tale of Duncan Eggs in one of the books. Oh, wow. He's a oh, little really? kid. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. right. Didn't you say that Dunk could have killed him or let him die or something and he didn't? Oh, yeah. Dunk. He had one job. Well, like, Dunk thought he was a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dunk is a good judge of character, clearly. Yeah. Well, he's got to um, have something going for him because he's on his, what, fifth or sixth wife at this point? No, this is like eight no, or nine, isn't it? Yeah, eight or nine, at, least, yeah. at least. He has to keep yeah. trading down in age. Well, one of the make- actors oh. who was playing, I think, playing his son or whatever, looked like he was older than David Bradley, but... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it is funny how old his kids look, but I guess you're supposed to just kind of assume he's older or something. Look, I think he's good enough. Good enough as where he's right. He can kind of forgive all. Yeah, pretty much. He can forgive all that kind of stuff. All there the was... sex is keeping him young. <laughs> <laughs> all the sex 
Sweet, sweet honey. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Stop. <laughs> it's interesting, though. I don't know if it was conveyed. Like, the scene preceding this where they're basically, yeah, where they're standing outside the, the crossing and talking about, like, you know, he's got a cross, etc. In the books, it's very clear. Like, the the soldiers are like yeah we can't take that castle you know there's no way there it's yes. built to outlast the siege i think Bruce Bolton basically says yeah we can't we can't take that i'm um, not sure if they we, say that they can't take it or is it or you know by the time they took it that Tywin would already be there so there's just no time but i mean i don't know if it's it's no, made it's as that, clear how badly is. this is all going to go because she yeah she has nothing to bargain with, really. Mm. The way the twins is designed on the Trident, it'd be really hard to even take that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was a really smart move by the phrase. I think they said, what was it? They spent three generations building it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move along. So, Cat. <laughs> the next thing is Cat returning from her meeting with Walder, and she's got good news. He's granted Rob the Crossing as well as his men. However, this is conditional upon a few things, and one of those things is that Rob has to marry one of Walder's daughters. Rob's reaction is fantastic. <laughs> He's not happy about this at all, and he actually, I think, says to Kat, did you get a look at his daughters? And Kat kind of replies, I did. One was, and she kind of trails off. So <laughs> Rob, yeah, Rob's not really happy with the deal, but he ultimately consents because, you know, that's the only way they're going to get across. You know, it's and funny. Can... This is a scene in the book where I h- hate Rob. I just hate him because Catelyn comes back and says, well, you know, you're going to have to take on a squire who's one of Walder's kids and Arya is going to have to marry one of all- Walder's sons. She says this before Rob find out- finds out that he needs to marry one of the daughters. And Rob's just kind of like, oh, okay, Arya can do that. Yeah, and he's fine with it. Yeah. yeah. Arya's <laughs> not going to like that, but I'm totally going to make her do it so that I can get this. And then, of course, as soon as he hears yeah. that he is going to have to marry someone, he pauses or something. I don't know. Yeah, and then he also has the choice of picking. He has a, a choice to pick which yeah. one he wants to marry. That's pretty sweet, too, right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and doesn't I can't remember, but in the book, it's not even like Arya's going to... Well, of course, one of the older sons would probably be about 62. But um, she's going to be marrying, like, the 23rd in line or something. I mean, it's not even, like, a great deal. And he, in the show, he's kind of snickering about it, too. Elmer? (laughs) My little sister's going to have to marry one of these people. I mean... I think you said, you know, oh, she's not going to like that. (laughs) And, and then this is my other point. Does Kat need glasses? Because Rosalind is more than all right. I mean, Rosalind's really pretty. So I don't, I don't know I don't where she's at. Rosalind. I don't, yeah, I don't think that line it. is in the books. I don't think that stuff about one being okay is in the books. Yeah. I think they knew they were good looking ones because there's like Fair Walda and stuff. They know they're a good yeah. looking phrase in the books. Mm. Yeah, a few of them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's at least one out of, you know, 500. <laughs> All right, so we're moving along now to the wall, uh, and we've got John and Lord Commander Mormont. And the Lord Commander has a gift for John because he saved his life last episode. And so he gives John his sword, Longclaw. So this John is a different tells- kind of sword giving than we often talk about on this it, podcast. It is. <laughs> it's a literal well, sword. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I felt some sparks, Chicky. No, me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. Jess is backing me up. Yeah, thanks, Jess. 
honestly, <laughs> if it was a figurative sword, I would have been far more in- invested oh, than God. I was. And <laughs> <laughs> everyone like vomits a little in their mouth, but you know, Marty Stu getting a Valerian steel sword, happy for the dude, but so bored. Come on, come on, can't see the value in Ned, but, but she will ship Jon Snow and launch him out of orbit to the grave. I didn't say I'm shipping, I said it'd be more interesting than what we saw. Just saying. <laughs> It's true. All right. Well, Jordan tells the Lord Commander that he can't accept such a fine gift. But the Lord Commander says, you can and you will. But don't think this means I approve of all the hate sex you've been having with Alistair Thorne. I might be paraphrasing <laughs> a little bit there. Jordan says he'll apologize to Sir Alistair. But Lord Commander Mormont has sent Alistair to King's Landing uh, with the white's disembodied hand so he can prove to Joffrey that zombies do indeed exist. So, good for John. He gets a, a nice sword in that scene. And then he goes downstairs and he is greeted by the excited cries of his brothers demanding he whip out his sword so they can have a look at it. You know, I find it really funny because it seems like everybody at the wall knows that John is getting this sword. Before right? he knows. Yeah. yeah. It, well, don't they, like, they They help, you know, they... I don't know if it was as clear on the show that that Mormont has swapped out like the end of the pommel, the bear mm-hmm. that was on there from his house for a, a wolf for John. But oh. I think people are involved in getting that done. So I think I think people do know. Yeah, it was in the book. Blacksmith would Yes, it was in the book. I think that the blacksmith, so the blacksmith told the ranger, no, who told I don't the think steward. It, I don't or something think it was like the blacksmith. That. I think they carved. I don't know who it was. I think they carved yeah. a wolf for him, and I don't think it was. I can't remember what happened. Somebody involved I, told, and yeah. then it spread, and then they're all like, "Oh, dude, let's see the sword." Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Whip it out, John. Whip it out. Well, the so, still should be this big a deal. I'm glad that they did make as big a deal should. as they did. Yeah, it should because it's almost um, a little weird that Mormont gives this to John just for saving his life. Because this is like such a big well, deal. As this Thomas said, there's, there's that sexual tension there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he also talks about it, it. Almost gets lost in there, but he talks about. Yeah. He'd given this sword to his son, who's Jorah, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, effed up. And at least the one good thing he did before he fled was, you know, to return the sword back. Yeah. So, yeah. Mormont doesn't have, well, he's got daughters, but he doesn't have anybody to pass it along to. But, yeah. I mean, it also I mean, establishes that, you know, it gives nieces. us a little he's more. Got nieces, not daughters. I think Jorah was his only kid, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it also establishes a little bit about, you know, again, how Jorah got to be where he is and that he is in disgrace back in mm-hmm. West. Yeah. It does. And it is a big deal, I think, for, for the Lord Commander to pass it along because he does talk about, you know, it's been in his family for generations. This is a this is a family heirloom, essentially, and he's, he's giving it to John. So it is a big deal. Anyway, so... John shows the sword to his brothers and they all seem pretty delighted for him, except for Sam, who's kind of sitting in the corner looking very sad panda indeed. So, and the reason for that is Maester Eamon has actually received a raven with the bad news that Rob is marching south to war. John is understandably upset at this news. He really wants to be there to fight alongside his brother. So what happens next is Maester Eamon summons John to have a little chat to him. 
and he explains to him the reason why members of the Night's Watch do not marry or father children. It would force them to choose between their duty as brothers and their loyalty to their loved ones. Love is the death of duty, he says. So John is being a little teenage angsty in this scene. He's sort of saying, no one understands me or my struggle. I need to be with my brother. And Eamon tells John, you know, choosing honour is easy until love is involved. And he himself knows this because his vows were also tested. He dutifully remained at the wall while his family was slaughtered and his house fell to ruin. And you get a pretty cool reaction shot. John's eyes are getting wider by the second. And he asks the old man, who are you? And the maester reveals that he is Aemon Targaryen, brother to Aegon and uncle to Aerys Targaryen, the Mad King. So while John is digesting this information, Maester Aemon says he will not tell John to stay or go. John must make that choice and live with it for the rest of his days as Aemon himself has. Uh, such a good moment. I mean, this, this is an amazing scene with an amazing character actor. Um, that's Peter Vaughn, who plays um, Aemon, Aemon Targaryen, and he's been and around. Isn't he, isn't he actually legally blind as well? Oh, is he really? Yeah, I, know, I, think, but I think I read that. The dude's credits go back to the 50s. I mean, he's been around. And to me, this is it's a beautifully written scene, although you'd think they would have remembered some of what they had this guy saying in uh, season four. Um, when Sam's playing fast and loose with the rules there, but um, I loved it, the whole thing. Mm. And I usually, eh, on this rewatch, I'm so uninvested in, in John, but this was a good scene. It was some nice uh, relationships. I, I really thought it was well done. Yeah, well, I'm always invested in John, and I have always, this is one of the standout scenes on the show for me. I always remember the scene. It's just it so perfectly encapsulates everything about this moment in the book. Cause when you hit this moment in the book, it's like the weight of the entirety of the history of this story really mm-hmm. bears down on you. When you hear that this is Amon Targaryen and that he has, you know, actually experienced exactly what John is experiencing in that moment. And okay. it's really beautifully done. Um, and, and the show really honored it amazingly well, again, with the casting, mm-hmm. but also by just, you know, putting the whole story in there, you know, right. It's the type of thing that somebody could have skipped and they didn't. Right. Like the only like one little technical thing I did catch about this scene. It does bother me a little bit, but I mean, I can forgive it is Amon is actually the Mad King's great uncle. Yeah. He's not his uncle (laughs) because Amon is Amon's brother is egg and egg Mm -hmm. had, um, Jaharis. Yeah. I think it's, and then Jaharis had Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Eon, did you write an angry letter after seeing this episode? <laughs> no. <laughs> nah. Whenever yeah. I first watched it, I, I didn't even know. <laughs> but now yeah. I do. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. I, I absolutely loved this scene. And I remember upon the first watch when, you know, I hadn't read the books, I had no idea. Um, I think Chicky was saying you really do just get the... I don't know, the sense of how vast this story is yeah. and how, you know, important this moment is, I guess. I don't know. I think, as Common was saying, Peter Vaughan did an amazing job in this scene. And and Kit, too, I thought. Kit's reactions, I thought, were quite good. Yeah, and I think it's great, too, how it kind of ties together the entirety of the story, this this whole little bit at the wall, because you have Jarrah Mormont talking to John about Jorah, and then you yeah. have Aemon, you know, outing himself as a Targaryen, you know, so it, it kind of ties Danny and Jorah back into the central story of Westeros. Right. Bit, 
which yeah. is really great. And, and you, you also another, get... No, you go ahead, Ian. Oh, another thing I really did like when um, Amon is talking about the reason why the, the people on the wall, they take no wives, they have no family... It's, you know, so that they don't love and whenever something happens at the wall, you know, they don't have to worry about their family. They can only depend on their honor. And mm-hmm. that really contrasts to what what Ned is going to have to face. Yeah. Right. And they do actually slip that into the scene, too. I think I even asked John, you know, if, if your Lord Father had to choose between honor and, and the people he loves, what would he do? And, and John, of course, right. says he would do whatever's right. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's enough. Which could be either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, and it's a nice bit of framing, obviously, for what happens later in the episode. Yeah, and it's this is also good foreshadowing. I mean, provided that the show really plays things out the way that the books do, for the struggle that John is going to continue to have between yeah. you know doing the honorable mm-hmm. thing and, and doing the the right thing. Yeah, I, yeah and I, there's I was, there's. Oh, oh I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Jess. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to expand on what Chicky was saying. How it's like kind of foreshadowing, but also how it kind of ties in with. Not only the storylines in the episode, like with Ned and even with Danny choosing kind of love, trying to save Drogo, but also I just kept thinking of Jamie and Brienne's storyline and how that's going to play into their storyline. Right. It is a recurring theme, isn't it, throughout yes. the series? I mean, Brienne obviously is coming up to a very similar choice between Honor and, and those that she loves. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Good, good, uh, you know, perceptive comment there. Sorry, comments. Oh. Oh, yeah, I was just, just get out. I just, <laughs> I just googled. Um, he is partially blind. The actor. I love in you real in your life. Google coma. Wow. <laughs> well, um, the other thing I just want to say is, I think, I mean, um, oh god, Kit Harrington is good in the scene, and I think this is what happens when you have an experienced actor, you know, and uh, maybe because Kit Harrington doesn't have nearly well, no one has as much as this other guy. But like that, that play that you get between these two people, I think that's what happens when you cast this way. You know, you've got someone who's really good and you can the other newbie kind of plays off the, the other guy. Yeah, I mean, yet again, this is clearly just one of the things that really elevates Game of Thrones above, you know, a lot of other genre stuff, not just television, but movies as well. Just that the fact that they so carefully cast some of these mm. not as big roles um, really just just elevates the entire production to me yeah not even just the secondary characters but i know we've talked about this before even the the sort of bit parts that we've you know like we had the the wine vendor with danny and you know those little parts it really is Mm -hmm. as you say something that elevates game of thrones above (laughs) i mean it's got to be elevated above other shows in one way at least right <laughs> I'm kidding. There's actually plenty to like in this episode. I thought this is this was a good oh, yeah. one. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll move along. So, speaking of the love of Danny and Drogo, we've got Drogo. His color stars riding. Drogo's not doing very well at all, and he actually falls off his horse, which is something that's considered a great sign of weakness amongst the Dothraki. And and Kotho, that's how I pronounce it. It's sort of like Kotho, one of Drogo's <laughs> blood riders. He's quick to point out that a Carl who cannot ride is no Carl. Danny says they've ridden far enough and they will camp there tonight. She tells Kotho to fetch Miri Mazdur, and I was just telling the ladies prior to podcast that I read it as Miri Mazda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can remember. Zoom. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was as drunk as Chicky right now. 
um, Danny tells Kotho to fetch Miri to help Drogo. Kotho's not impressed at all. He's sort of giving her a lot of sass and resistance, but he does ultimately end up going to get Miri, leaving Danny looking very concerned while she looks over a delirious Drogo. So we're going to skip a little bit ahead now. Um, still with Danny and Drogo, they're inside a tent now, and Jorah's there. And he advises Danny that they should flee. Once Drogo dies, he said, his blood riders will fight amongst themselves to be the new Carl, and whoever wins will kill Danny and her unborn child. And Kotho's there, and he pretty much reinforces what Jorah is saying by threatening Danny, telling her that without Drogo, she is nothing. Danny gets mm-hmm. a bit fiery at that. She fires back. She's saying, you know, I've never been nothing on the blood of the dragon. But once Kotho leaves the tent, Danny says to Jorah she thinks he should wear his armour tonight, and that was a damn good call, Danny. Yeah. Um, do you have, did you have something to say, Come on. No, no, I'm agreeing. Okay. So Miri, yeah. Miri Master, she's arrived at Den Drogo. Danny begs her to save him. There must be something, she says, some magic. Miri says there is a spell, but she warns Danny that it requires a death. Danny asks, my death? And Miri replies, no, not yours. I'm thinking Danny probably should have requested more information there. <laughs> oh. Anyway, Miri asks for Drogo's horse, uh, says everyone must leave the tent for her to perform the spell. Uh, she then slits the horse's throat. Uh, and then the what? spell begins. Oh, sorry, with a dagger. This <laughs> made me do it. That made me do it. Oh, that made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, outside, Kotho is outraged at what Danny has done. He pushes past her to get to his car, and Danny falls onto her stomach. Jorah kills Kotho in this awesome bit of badassery, and then he rushes to a moaning Danny. The baby is coming. Uh, this is okay. such a hard scene to watch, and I'll just own it, mm. mostly because of the horse death. I hate it. I hate, I, it, I hate it. it. Because of Daddy. No, no, it's the horse death that really gets to me. Honestly, I gotta say, I don't. Yeah, I don't like watching that part. Oh. I have oh. one, and it's it's not even mine originally. I think I saw it. I think on a recap somewhere, maybe television without pity. But it's a really valid question. Okay, Danny's going into labor. That's a process that takes, as far as I am aware, hours and, in some rare cases, days. So I am unclear why Jorah felt it was necessary to pick her up and carry her right away into the tent from which the most unearthly, god-awful noises are emerging, <laughs> where the crazy lady has just killed a horse and, you know, is doing blood magic. Why well, he thought that that was a good idea. I wonder, is Danny's labor being brought on by the magic, though? I mean, that's is it a magical labor? Yeah, I think there, I yeah, there are theories fell, about this though. in the book. Yeah, she did. Well, I mean, even if it is, even if it is, why would you? I mean, it sounds like they're, well, for all we know, she is, you know, she's doing all sorts of stuff in there, and it just sounds <laughs> so scary. It's like, yeah. I could wait out here and we could force the midwives to attend her or we could go into the Blair Witch House. Let's go into the Blair Witch House. (laughs) I don't think in the books there's all that noise, though. Is there? Eon, do you remember? I don't think they're... I don't remember. I recently 
read it, I don't think it was anywhere near what no. we saw on TV. Yeah, I know um, Danny just... has visions when she's in that tent. I know that, but I don't know. I don't. I don't remember there being like a bunch of noise and stuff. No, but although I think Mary no. does specify that no one should enter the tent once the spell is begun. Probably. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, she says it in that kind of witchy, like, you better not come in here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's so great. the walls by the seat. She's like, why would you go in there? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like she's, like, if she'd been hemorrhaging or something, there was some kind of obvious urgency. And yeah, I get he's a man, but he's been around. I mean... I mean, he's been around. He's got to know that this is not going to be an instantaneous kind of thing. Like, whoops, there's a baby. I just... I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's the way that she, like, collapses. I mean, that can happen if you yeah. get hit with a hard contraction. You know, I have seen yeah. people drop to their knees. So, I mean, well, it can, he may have been can be scary looking. Her stomach and it's, you know... Yeah, that's yeah, too. And he maybe. loves her. He loves her. He sure so does. He Again, her, right? I was going to say, so involuntarily... Commas <laughs> <laughs> not, but there's, there's no explanation. I am going one magic and from with I mean again it's just it uh, stuff takes me right out I do I love the, whole the, monkey's, the monkey's paw kind of thing like yeah you you will save his life <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say I was pretty damn impressed with Ian Glenn in this scene he was yes. he was his acting was amazing but I, it was more that he was just so manly when he was fighting Koyo that he just gathers Danny in his arms and carries oh, I loved him in that Korean. armor he looked so hot in that armor. He does look good in that armor. I yes, agree. I agree. It does. And that yeah. sword fight um, with, with Clotho or Kotho <laughs> was pretty awesome. <laughs> we, Clotho, love sorry. we know Clotho, we would not sorry. like try to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a really good scene. I like, you know, the, the good things about it, the way that they captured it is that they really did capture, you know, kind of Danny's desperation and, and things like that. And, um, I'll say I, I didn't even notice Amelia Clark's acting, which is usually a really good sign. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. you know, like you really felt Danny's desperation and, and you got, you know, just how far she would go with it, which is really very indicative of Danny's character. I mean, this is just one of her defining characteristics is she's, she's very serious about love and loyalty for the people that she really cares most about. And, and so it was, it was a really, really well done. This, this entire episode was, not only visually beautiful, but just very well put together. This is this is, yeah. I think, maybe the best one of the best. we've seen yet. Yeah, yeah, um, one of the best, I think. Um, and as just was saying, and as Chicky just mentioned, you know, we do get that, uh, you know, highlighted. I guess how much Danny loves Drogo, and how that is a recurrent theme throughout the series, but also in this episode about you know doing, I guess, maybe the dishonorable thing or the the. Not necessarily the best thing for the people that you love. Yeah. All right. We're going to move along to a scene that I think Comma will enjoy. <laughs> and I think she might have some things to say about the furniture in this scene. <laughs> so so we, do, move along. Yeah. <laughs> we move along to Camp Lannister. And we have Tyrion. He's joining Tywin, Kevin, and a few others for dinner. Tywin tells Tyrion that he and his wildlings will fight in the vanguard of the army on the front lines. Tyrion is unsurprisingly not happy to hear this. He basically accuses Tywin of trying to get him killed. Tywin refuses to engage, saying there will be no more discussion on the matter. So Tyrion pushes his plate away and leaves the table in disgust. So was Tywin trying to get Tyrion killed? I mean, he wouldn't mind. (laughs) He wouldn't mind. (laughs) I think he was. I think he yeah. would never. It it would go be. It would go against the grain for him to like 
do it himself. But yeah, put him in a situation where he might not come out of. Yeah, I think he totally, that would be a bonus. Yep. I think I agree. Alright. Well, you know, it's amazing how well um, Charles Dance and Peter Dinklage hold these scenes. You put them in a room with a bunch of people, and it doesn't matter what's going on, the two of them are just riveting in all of these mm-hmm. these group scenes. I mean, like, you're They're just... They're very commanding presence. Oh, God, yeah. Charles Dance silently chewing. <laughs> <laughs> it's riveting. I mean, no, seriously, that, that sort of, you know... Uh, Tyrion is going on and on about how Shaga likes axes and trying to have this bravado with the uncle and you know what these his wife um, the what do you want to call it the uh, what are they called his uh, I don't know what you mean or I'd help you out buddy Shaga and, and uh, <laughs> his guys the mountain clan the hill tribes thank you hill tribes there you go but he's going on and on about all this stuff and tywin's looking more and more and more disgusted <laughs> he's silently <laughs> showing and then finally he's like ah well if you were a good <laughs> commander you know to be but. fair comma you were just looking at tywin in, in that scene though <laughs> no 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 i was also looking at the furniture Yes, oh, the bureau yes brought to, it's there that is definitely the it deer butchering room um <laughs> And the art direction was brought to us by West Elm because, oh my god, it's just, yeah. So if you go to our Tumblr, there's also going to be some uh, information about where you can find that bureau. The apothecary table. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving along. Sorry, luckily for Tyrion after that, uh, that awful dinner, Bronn has found him a whore and a pretty one at that. She's waiting for him in his tent. And she introduces herself as Shay. There's a little bit of sassy banter between the two of them. And then Shay asks Tyrion what he wants from her. He tells her he wants her to fuck him like it's his last night in this world. And in return, he will give her safety, the pleasure of his company, and gold, lots and lots of gold. Shay clearly acquiesces to Tyrion's proposal because she drops her dress and climbs on top of him. She does just climb right in his lap. <laughs> I gotta say, you know what? It's a pretty damn good deal. Just saying, a whore in that world could do worse. Yeah, well, like, yeah. Well, well Bronn says he stole her from a ginger cunt. Is that <laughs> is that going to be Adam Marbrand? I not, not, not be fucking Adam Marbrand. They I actually not. say in the book it's like a lesser lord oh. or something. And Tyrion essentially says, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm probably going to die soon anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, after the sexy times, um, we get another scene with Bronn, Shay and Tyrion, and they're passing the time by playing what seems to be the Westerosi version of Never Have I Ever. Yeah, they're having so, a slumber party right now. They're a, yeah, they're having a slumber party. Tyrion's braiding Bronn's hair. So Tyrion's asking them questions about their past, basically. And if he's right, they drink. And if he's wrong, he drinks. Shay's not really a big fan of this game. She sort of plays along for a few questions, but then she threatens to cut out Tyrion's eyeballs if he asks her about her parents again. So anyway, while playing the game, Tyrion then reveals the sad story of his wife, Tysha. He was 16 when he and his brother Jamie were riding and rescued an orphan girl who was being attacked by two men. While Jamie chased after the men, Tyrion took Tysha for a meal. He got drunk and ended up in her bed. By morning, he was so in love that he asked her to marry him. 
A few lies, Tyrion says, a few gold coins, and one drunk septum later, the teenagers were man and wife. But the marriage only lasted for a fortnight. Can anyone tell me how many days that is? Oh, God. There's a lot of days. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> anyway, it only lasted for a fortnight until the septum sobered up and told Tywin what happened, which was not good news for Tyrion. The first thing Tywin did was make Jamie <laughs> tell Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. The first thing Tywin did is make Jamie tell Tyrion the truth that Tasha was a whore, and the whole situation with the rapers was manufactured by Jamie because he thought it was high time Tyrion slept with a woman. Here comes the pretty awful part. Tywin then brought Tasha into the room, and he gave her to his guards. He paid her a silver for each man she slept with and made Tyrion watch. And Tyrion paints an even more disturbing picture when he adds, by the end she had so much silver the coins were slipping through her fingers and rolling onto the floor. Oh, God. So I have to ask, are they just, are, is D&D just going with Jamie actually told Tyrion the truth? Is that why... It was never brought up again, like in season four. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I got the feeling when I saw this, because they spent so much time on it, I assumed, <laughs> silly me, that they were going to, you know, pack it into, as you know, the previously's on Game of Thrones in season four, and that mm-hmm. we would get the dramatic reveal where Jamie would confess, and then Tyrion would be, you know, angry Tyrion. But yeah. I... There's a there's a hint here that maybe they weren't planning on doing that because they leave out a major change because in the books Tywin makes Tyrion rape her too and he does. Yes. Yeah. He I, personally, I personally I think that's just part of their whitewashing of a lot of characters. Of- that's just an, a beginning of that because they spend so much time on this Taisha thing and just time that they didn't necessarily need to spend in this episode. I mean, they really give it mood. They give it a moment. They even give it music. Um, so I, I really assume think they were they... going to do something with it, and then oh, they yeah. didn't. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean it's pretty clear. You know, it, it's funny because I was I was really watching this closely when I watched it back because I was like, how 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 much do they foreshadow? And it's they're totally setting it up. I mean, they didn't need to go this far. This is the type of story that you could relay in in you know like four lines if you needed to, if you just wanted the yeah. the, the bones. But they really let Tyrion live it and dig into it, and it's pretty clear they intended to do it. It's just it's foreshadowing yeah. that they did, and then they just completely dropped. And actually, they continue to foreshadow. I'm pretty sure they mentioned Tysha in season two yes. and season three as well. Three. I do. Yeah, they do. And yeah. just quickly, so just quickly, I think. Do you remember the reason that um, I don't know if it was the writer of the ep or Dan and Dave, or if they were the writers of the ep, um, season four, where they had the Jamie and Tyrion scene? Do you remember the reason they gave for not including it? Was it time constraints? No. What was it they said? I think they just... I feel like they said it was something like they had other things to include in the episode, so they... I think it was just kind of an out for, like, it was too complicated. Which is what it is. It is. It is. It's a very complicated thing. I mean, Tyrion is a racist, and they don't want to get into that. If you don't want your characters to be, or your... If you don't want your characters to be grey, it is a complicated thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Even though if they had not wanted to make him a rapist... Because as he tells the story, he's not. Yeah, yeah, they could have. In season four, they could have gone with. Guess what? I lot. You know, father made me lie. She really was a crofter's daughter. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't a whore to begin with, and they didn't want to go there. Yeah, they didn't so, want to go there because he's gonna. They didn't. They don't want Tyrion to go dark. Full, yeah. full dance. Well, full dance dance Tyrion. They don't. Yeah, want every to time they've they had a chance to make him more complicated and not quite as much of a hero, they've shied away over and over. Well, they didn't want to get that, you know, Tyrion's reply to Jamie, which was, you know, I, what was it? I killed your son and, you know, I, <laughs> what does he say to Jamie? He says some pretty awful things. Well, he definitely takes responsibility for Joffrey. Yeah. Yeah. I, can Is we it, talk I killed your about... vile son, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Can we talk about the difference? This is one change. I mean, I know it creates problems, but this is one change they made that I loved because Bookshay is your, I mean, she might have just been, like, a character out of central casting. She's just a straight-up, one-dimensional whore. You know, she's mm-hmm. fairly honest, she's there for the money, and it's Tyrion who kind of starts building her up. But I do like that they gave this, like, Shoshay has more of a, I mean, she's more of a, a character in her own right. I mean, it, it was a decision that they made, that's for sure. Um, I don't know in retrospect that I can support it just because of the fact that they did flesh Shay out and then they still had her do everything that Book Shay did and it didn't make yeah. sense anymore with who Shay was on the show. Yeah. And that that's my major problem with the way that they did flesh her out. If they had continued with it, I mean, if they were going to make changes like dropping Taisha anyway, then why couldn't they completely change the Shay storyline? I don't really yeah, that's know. that's true. Right, because um, either you've got a Shay that is, you know, she actually did fall in love with Tyrion and then betrays him for a seemingly not great reason, in my opinion, mm-hmm. or she's basically been fooling him all along. So I agree with you. I don't know why they would actually take the time to flesh her out and make it seem like this great love story only to then adhere to canon in the end anyway. It seemed like poor foresight. That's the only thing I can say is they just weren't thinking through what the change would mean. And there's no other way to put it because it just didn't play well for me the way that they did handle Shay in the, in the end in season four. So, I mean, you know, Mm. but look, this scene on its own is a great scene. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. scene. I think it's, I think it's only disappointing in retrospect, having seen all the way through season four and knowing where they're going to go with these three characters becomes disappointing. I mean, as it stands in, in this episode, it's a beautiful scene. This is a great scene, a great addition and, and a really good sign that these guys could adapt this story. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad scene at all. And yeah. Jerome Flynn, just, uh, I mean, it's very understated, but he does some nice work in this episode, too. I'm a big fan of Jerome Flynn. I like pretty much everything he's done yeah. in this show. You say in the show, sure. In the show, yeah. Alright, um, we'll move along. So, now we're in the next morning. We're still at Lannister Camp. Um, and it's soon to be under attack. Bronn tells Tyrion that Rob's men are fast approaching. And as a little aside, we don't get any mention of Pod here because in the books at this stage, Pod is Tyrion's squire. Um, and he's, you know, this morning he's like, get me my squire. He, <laughs> she, like, he yeah. is here by this time, isn't he? That's right. In the book he is, but in the show, Tyrion tells Bronn to get him his squire. And Bronn oh. says, you don't have a squire. And I'm like, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tyrion's off to fight. He tells Shay to weep for him if he dies, and her snappy comeback is, you'll be dead, how will you know? <laughs> she then rolls over and goes back to sleep, <laughs> which is a little different to the books, I have to say, where she's kind of terrified at what's happening, but I think she's also younger in the books. Anyway, yeah. we've, we've discussed yeah, she's her. like a teenager, <laughs> I think, in the books. Yeah. 
So Tyrion rallies his troops, okay, the men and women of the Hill Trans, and off to war they go. And Tyrion is promptly knocked unconscious by what appears to be the war hammer of one of his own men. <laughs> Which is interesting to me because, again, in the books, Tyrion actually fights for quite a while until he's knocked unconscious and he's not brought down by one of his own men in, like, this kind of comical situation. He actually ends up taking, I think, one of the Northmen's morning stars to the face. So (laughs) pretty impressive. I understand why they did it. I know the limitations of film and I know that battle scenes are particularly expensive to film, but... I don't know, Tyrion just kind of comes off as pretty inept to me in this scene, being knocked out by one of his own guys. He's he's pretty brave in the book and pretty capable. But, he really is. You know, he's, he's a fighter. He actually does yeah. fight in the books. And, yeah, the show yeah, has kind of sidestepped him. a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess he gets his moment in the Blackwater, but, yeah, just a little aside. Even there, I barely, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you get it, though. Budget reasons. I mean, you, it, it makes sense. Why is budget? Yeah. Anyway... So we cut to Tyrion. He's being dragged along the ground. Actually, he's not even on the ground. He's he's kind of above the ground, like he's yes. Stooping. I, he's I on the wagon. Isn't the he? Same, <laughs> I've seen I've the same say. scene in Gladiator. Oh, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of how Frodo and Sam were carried from Mordor by the giant eagles. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. it just looked like they were floating. It was like that same um, looking down perspective. It was. Anyway, Tyrion's actually being pulled along on a wagon or something. Not as cool as giant eagles. Um, And he wakes up to see that Bronn is standing over him. And Bronn confirms that, yes, Tyrion is indeed alive and that the Lannister army has won this battle. Then we get um, a really cool shot of Tywin riding up his horse. He's looking pretty damn fabulous in his shiny armour. He's got this flowing red cloak thing. (laughs) Um, and Tywin informs Tyrion that they just fought 2,000 of the Stark Bannermen, but Rob was not amongst them. And then we have Tyrion wondering where Rob and his other 18,000 men are. Yeah, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And <laughs> so we cut to Catelyn um, and Sir Roderick. They're sitting on their horses and they're nervously waiting. And then all of a sudden we have Rob and his men. They come bursting out of the trees. They have been victorious in their sneak attack against Jamie and his army, which in the book is called the Battle of the Whispering Wood. I don't know if they mention it here. And they've actually managed to capture the famed Kingslayer himself. Jamie offers Catelyn his sword, but she manages to resist temptation and instead says that all she wants from him is her daughters and husband back. Theon tells Rob to kill Jamie, but Rob is at least smart enough to know that Jamie is worth much more to them alive. Jamie throws down a challenge to Rob. Fight me now, Stark against Lannister, and let's end this war. But Rob's not going to take the bait. He denies Jamie's request, and the Kingslayer is carried off to be put in chains. And then we get a, a kind of a nice little moment, a humbling moment, I guess, with Rob lamenting that he sent 2,000 men to their graves today. He reminds his men that one victory does not make them conquerors. His father and sisters are still at the mercy of the Lannisters and the crown wants the Norse on their knees. The war is far from over. This is such a great scene. There are so many great little moments in it. Like, I love the beginning when you have Michelle Fairley waiting um, on her, you know, she's like waiting on that hill, waiting for news of what's going to happen in the battle. And everything about her face as like Rob and his men come riding up is just incredible. 
Yeah, yeah she really sells the, I guess, the emotion, the wide range of emotions she must be feeling, the nerves and the, the hope, I guess, and the concern. Yeah, it's everything about being the noble lady and, and you know, and and being stoic, but at the same time being a mother, you know, having such right. a young son off to to battle. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's it's amazing. She's so good in this. I I had forgotten just how good she is, and she is amazing. You know, I'm actually quite impressed with the role as well. I don't recall thinking that much about Richard Madden in the earlier seasons, but yeah, I, I don't know. I was impressed with him in this episode. Yeah, you know, I remember this being the episode where I finally. Um, got Nikolai Costa-Waldo as Jamie. I mean, this, I remember, yeah. I remember when I was watching going, oh man, this is so Jamie, the way that he was smiling when they, had, yeah. you know, when yeah. he was like raising himself up off the ground. I was like, oh man, that's pretty Jamie. <laughs> I, I hadn't really, yeah. I don't know if I've said this, I didn't really buy into his casting for quite some time. And, and yeah, I remember around this time going, oh no, that is Jamie in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. There he is. There he is. Um, I'm <laughs> oh yeah. What is he on the scale of, you know, uh season one Jamie to Hobo Jamie there, comma? <laughs> kind of like a six. Six or a just six. the right amount of scruff. <laughs> no, he needs to okay. go a lot further than this. I know well, you guys like him filthy and lice ridden, yeah, I know we do. this. Yeah, we but do. Um, <laughs> I don't quite like Kendall Jamie, but like right now, the right amount of yeah, yeah, he's this is the way I like Jamie. All right. So Jamie in this episode has a common seal of approval. Yeah. Excellent. So, question: Jamie's capture. Do you think that will lead to anything interesting? Discuss. We should probably move along. Actually, so here we go. The last scene of the episode. Save the best for last. Save the best for last. So we've got Aria. She's chasing pigeons in the slums of Flea Bottom. Uh, she actually manages to capture one, and then she tries to barter it for a lemon pie off a vendor's cart. She's firmly rebuked and sent on her way, and suddenly there is a mad rush of people. A boy tells Aria they're taking him to the Sept of Baylor, the Hand of the King. Aria drops her pigeon, and she joins the train of people climbing onto the statue of Baylor so she can see what's happening. And so we have Ned. He's brought out to the jeers of the crowd, and he briefly meets Arya's eyes. As he is dragged to stand before the king, he passes a very smug-looking little finger, ugh, as well as Yorin, to whom Ned says one frantic word, Baylor. Ned also passes Sansa, who smiles at her father and gives him an, an encouraging nod. She knows his life will be spared if he confesses. And so Ned does. He confesses to being a traitor, to plotting to kill Joffrey so he could seize a throne for himself. And he goes on to say that Joffrey is the one true heir to the Iron Throne. And so, instead of descending Ned to the wall like he promised, Joffrey tells Sir Illyn to chop off his head. And we're kind of met with this sudden cacophony. Sansa's screaming, begging for someone to stop him. Cersei's telling Joffrey, this is madness. We see Arya racing towards Ned, um, but she's intercepted by Yorin, who shields her from the horror of witnessing her father's decapitation. So Ellen swings his sword. We see a close-up of Arya looking upwards. A sea of birds take flight and fade to black. I, I really thought Ned was going to make it. <laughs> really? Really? Really did. 
Haven't we discussed in the I think a lot of the characters thought he was going to make it, you know? If you look at the reactions of Xerxes, Varys, Mm -hmm. even Pycelle, they all, I think, were expecting him to go to the wall. Because this deal had been hammered out behind the scenes. You actually do see that there's one who we don't see. Oh, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to talk over people. No, sometimes you can't help but go on. I was just going to say quickly, you do see Varys as well. He has an interesting reaction. He kind of tries to race towards him, like as if he's going to try and stop it, but then realizes, what could he do? There's nothing he can do. Mm -hmm. And, And the only one we don't really see, as that's all going down, is Baelish, who, you know. Oh, we didn't notice. Did we not see him? I wasn't really. I we was see him earlier. We see him looking beheading. like a smug bastard that he is. Yeah. Die, Peter Baelish, die. But we don't <laughs> see his, like, you know, as this is all happening. We see Cersei going like, oh, what the fuck? No, no, no. And, you know. Because it is. Yeah. It's all scripted. They have it all planned out. They've all got this whole little bit of theater they're doing. And guess who's just improvised and they can't, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, did he improvise, or do you think perhaps that Littlefinger was in Joffrey's ear prior Oh, to I know. I'm pretty sure he was, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But it's like they have all done this thing. They have all practiced. Everything's all scripted that they're going to do it. And Joffrey goes off script, and since he's the lead, he can do that. And yeah. What also struck me about the scene was Ned's reaction as well when Joffrey calls for his head. It's kind of this quiet resignation. Like, you know, he's a man who's just essentially given up his honor to to save his family and he's i guess what can he do he can't he can't beg for his life now he he can't stop he can't you know tell the crowd joffrey's a usurper he's not the true heir because obviously he's still got his daughters to worry about so it's just kind of this really powerful moment when you see his face and there's this this quiet resignation i think i really enjoyed i mean we we love sean bain sean bain's amazing well i mean if anybody knows how to play a death scene but, uh, <laughs> can we bring Sean back? <laughs> yeah. No, he 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 did. I think the choices here were amazing. I mean, it does feel very Ned, you know, in that Ned was resigned to die, and I think he's fine yeah. with with his death. You know, he he did this yeah. entirely to save Sansa, the only one that he he knows, you know, that the the Lannisters are holding, and and you know, I don't think he cares about himself. I really don't think he does. Right. I think you know, you see his sadness here, and it's like. I loved yeah. I loved the way that they did this where they they had him see Arya and they had him like try to make yes. Yorin help Arya and then he like looks for Arya and he you see him kind of looking sideways at Sansa and like he it's almost like he knows he shouldn't look at her that, that it will make it worse for her um you yeah. know the the things that that Sean Bean does here really make it clear that Ned cares about his kids and he really does and one of the things that sets Ned apart in this world is that he cares about his daughters just as much as his sons and Absolutely. he really cares about his girls and it's and really that was beautiful a, how they captured it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I, I thought that was a really nice uh, divergence from the book because in the book there is no uh, exchange that Ned has with Yorin. He doesn't say, you know, she's at the Statue of Baylor. No, no. Uh, Yorin just kind of ends up finding her in the crowd, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to have that, I mean, nice and, and heartbreaking to have that moment where they sort of exchange glances. And mm. you're right, you kind of, you see Ned... Um, and I assume there's acting choices on Sean Bain's part. I'm going to give him the credit here because I think he's amazing. Um, just the little nuanced um, things that he does, the emotions on his face, the fact that, he, as Tiki was saying, he looks to Arya, he, he looks to Sansa, um, and that is all he cares about. You know, he, he's not afraid to die. He said as much in the first scene of the episode. You know, I, I, 
my life is not some precious thing to me, but what is precious to him is his daughters, and he plays it like that, and it is, it's a, it's an amazing scene. Oh, he yeah. made when this he, scene. Yeah. When he looks and Arya's not there, it's like, all right, I've done what I can. Yeah. And he's at peace with it. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant and it's heartbreaking and oh. And everybody yeah. did their best. And even it's funny like even the people who didn't have much to do in this episode, you know, you can tell. They're all bringing their A game. Oh yeah, well Jack Gleason is great in this scene. You got to give him credit yeah. too. I mean, he God, was I really good. Yeah. Love to hate him. He doesn't make <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, have a, I have a bit of a hypothetical. I'm, I'm wondering, how do you think the story may have progressed if Ned had been sent to the wall? I mean, <laughs> they have Jamie. They have Jamie. That's too much chaos theory at play. I mean, who even knows? I mean, it would have changed so much, I'm sure, if he went to the wall. Yeah. I mean, there's people who have written all sorts of scenarios trying to imagine what would have happened. You know, mm. it, it, and I don't know. I mean, would the Lannisters have been well, I, I okay just, with that? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, mean, part of me wonders if Tywin would, would have. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if, if would Ned he have, would made, have made it, it to, to the, the wall. wall? Yeah, I don't <laughs> would know. Would have yeah. there been a quote unquote accident? I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's you know hard something to know. that would make it clear to everyone else that they had nothing to do with it, that they were going to honor their promise. You know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it could have gone a million different directions if he'd lived. Who knows? That's why yeah. he had to die. Damn it. Kill him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Poor oh, Ned. Oh, God. Oh, Ned. Poor old dead Ned. Oh, you know who's oh, acting yeah. I love in this scene, though, and I think really sells the final emotion of it is little Maisie Williams. She is, oh, you God. know, Sophie Turner's yes. great, too, but yeah. there is just, like... A, a moment when when um, Maisie Williams is looking up at the sky and it's just like That's oh it. god it just like gets heartbreaks yeah, yeah yeah she was so good yeah. I mean you know just just all in the face for an actor so young it was really amazing. Well, that's it, because it was this really tight close-up of her face, and she yeah. completely sells it. Yeah, it was devastating. Ugh. All right, we should probably are we doing questions this episode? Do awesome. we have time? Yeah, do a yeah. question. All right, we've got one. Give us, give we've us some got... Jamie Brienne to bring us out of all this death. God, I got it, I got it, baby, I got it, got you covered. <laughs> all right, so this is actually a, a question we got oh quite a while ago because it refers to the last podcast we did, which was actually when we were covering the book chapters, um, and it was Jamie's dream and the bear pit. So. Mm. It was, oh, God, I don't know, 20 podcasts ago. Um, I'll totally says, remember it perfectly. Absolutely. Um, so it says, in the last podcast, <laughs> in the last 20 podcasts, you talked about how transparent Brienne is to Jamie, how he surely would have picked up on the fact that she's attracted to him. My question is, do you think he's aware of the depth of her feelings for him, or does he think it's superficial that she merely lusts after him because he's gorgeous? Or maybe that it's nothing more than hero worship at the core of it. I'm curious how much you think he's able to read off her. You know, it's one of those funny things with the two of them, with both Jamie and Brienne. They are able to read one another so well, except with regard to how they are really feeling about each other. Because when Jamie and Brienne have their goodbye scene in the books, we're talking about the books here, not the show. Um... Jamie is misreading her right up to the end. I mean, like, he assumes she still thinks he's, you know, terrible. And, like, even when she's trying to tell him that she doesn't, 
he just continues to, it's like he wants to see her seeing him as this bad person. And so, um, Mm. I don't know that he does know. I don't know that he does. I mean, he might pick up on some sexual attraction or he might just write it off to her being super awkward. I have no idea, but no, I kind of doubt that he did. I mean, we'll see what happens and wins when we see them together. Mm -hmm. Maybe he will finally tip to it, but I, I don't, I don't think he did know. Yeah, both of them are so emotionally stunted that I think, as you say, they're quite perceptive in terms of other things. But when it comes to romance, um, it's just not something that they're they're able to read off each other because they they don't really even know how they themselves are feeling. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, understanding how the other person is feeling is just a bit beyond them, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody else have any thoughts, Jess? Anybody? Yeah, no? I'm, I'm with you. I'm not really convinced that he read anything off of her as like her being attracted to him or her having feelings for him. I actually reread that chapter in uh, the book rather recently and I didn't, I didn't get anything from that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. What about you, Kamal? I don't think when it comes to, as Chicky said, this sort of one facet of their relationship and also of their own self-understanding when it comes to their relationship, I don't think either is particularly emotionally intelligent. And I'm not referring in in general. I'm just saying when it comes to understanding how they feel about each other and trying to assess how the other perceives them, I don't think they're on it. They don't strike I, again emotionally intelligent is the best way I can think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think they have it. Yeah, not that emotional intelligence, no. <laughs> not the sexy part. No, they don't, they don't get it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, but yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, good question, so, dude. Um, that's a good one. They, see, there's some JB for us to bring us out of this funk. I yay. really wish that I knew who asked that question. I think it, was it an Anon? God, I hope so, because I don't have the name. Was it an Anon? It might have been an Anon. Come up, Google. It's not me. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not Googling. Google Google yourself. All right. right. Just a quick question here. (laughs) This is great. What do you guys think about the Jamie Cersei sex scene in season one, episode one? Do you think it was hot? (laughs) No. I did not find it hot, and I wanted to, and I didn't. I, I don't feel like those two had any sexual chemistry at that point. This is the one where they're in the tower where Bran right. sees them? Yes. yes, doggy style. They're doing it doggy style. Wasn't this, wasn't this part of this scene shot with someone that was a body double because Lena was pregnant at the time? Yeah, she was yeah. pregnant. Yep. So she was there for the face shots. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I, I think that was really her. I mean, I would think it's really her with the dress and everything. And the dress was able to hide her stomach. I think it's like yeah. the side shots or something are not her. Yeah, the the things where you can't see her face. But yeah. Yeah, no. I just didn't I didn't feel it. I wasn't feeling it. For me, you know, it's you know nothing. Much, you know how much Chicky and I love each I'm fine with Jamie and Cersei. I wanna feel yeah. like they love each other and like I just I didn't like... feel it. So, so See, I have a different answer here. Well slightly well, different reasoning. I didn't find it sexy. But not for the reason. I mean, I think they do have some chemistry together. That's not my problem. My problem is, is 
You know what? I'm the type of person who, if I go camping, that's going to the Holiday Inn. And if I'm having sex, I don't want to be on my knees in some filthy, disused tower in the middle. I know. I mean, it's just gross. I mean, some people might like that, though. Yeah, I mean, some people well, get you know, more power yeah. to them. But I don't particularly find that arousing or or sexy. I so mean, it's, it's the venue. You know, You're just complaining about the venue, mate. I am. Okay, okay. That's I mean, my, it was short scene too. We didn't is see sorry, everything. Is, is, Koma, is Koma talking about her back moon door again? Oh, shut <laughs> up. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. No, but, you know, Jess, Sorry, Jess, Jess, but Jess, Jess makes a good point. Enjoy. Jess makes a good point when she's saying we don't see everything. We don't see yeah. the beginning of this love scene. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was hot to begin with. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, and what Bran uh, saw, you know, I, I highly doubt he thought it was hot. So, you know, he's supposed to not think it's hot. <laughs> well, in the books, he's like, oh, and the man had his hand down between her legs and he must have been hurting her because she was saying, no, no. See exactly. <laughs> I've got the same memorized from the book. Yeah, good job. We're much better in the books, you guys. <laughs> we know where you stopped and studied in the books. Why do you copy of Game of Thrones is permanently open to that section? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Once Wins comes out, it'll be permanently open to another spot. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Um. I think Eon has a question to ask. Well, we actually got an email from our absent moderator that just came in. Yes, from our lovely lady of Tarth hyphen, hyphen posts. Hyphen posts. <laughs> she says some <laughs> some merry fuck kill fun for the girls. All uh, Game of Thrones versions, for the most part. Bring it. This first one is for Kama. Okay, Kama. Mary wait, 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 we're getting kill. individualized ones? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> okay, Kama, are you ready? I think okay. so. Ty- Tywin, Roos, and Stannis. Mary oh, 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 evil. Evil. But I have an answer. God help me. Okay. Mary Stannis, fuck Tywin, kill Roos. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> What? The family that plays together stays together. <laughs> yeah, I think no. He's got to die, and that if that those are my three <laughs> options, he's dying. There it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. This one is for me. Um, Sam, Jamie, and Tommen. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's evil. Okay, so I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to fuck Jamie. I'm oh. going to marry Sam. And I'm going to have to kill yeah, Tommen. What else are you going to do? You got to yeah. kill him. Right. Yeah, you but bitch. Chicky, some people like teenage accountants, okay? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, okay, I am Chicky. an accountant, so right? that's an insult. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you love accountants. <laughs> Especially Tommen. Hey, Chicky, are you ready? Am I? I guess. Yes. Are you ready? Okay. Bring it. Uncle Uncle Benjamin, <laughs> Adam Marbrand, <sighs> the one in your head, not show geriatric version. <laughs> 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 or, I love the or, <laughs> or Sir Jorah. Oh, well, this is easy. Okay, so definitely okay. kill Jorah. Um, I think I'm gonna have to funk, fuck Uncle Benjamin and just marry Adam Marbrand. I think that's the way that that has to go down. 
It's hmm. good. I would do that too. Okay, YD. Yes. <laughs> um, Mary, Mary, fucker, and or kill. <laughs> Oberyn, John, Caldrogo. Okay. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> oh god! Um. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> I would have to. Oh god. Okay, I'm gonna fuck Drogo, marry Oberyn, and kill John. I'm sorry, oh, John. <laughs> Oh, why would you do that to John? I'm sorry. Well, oh, come on. Melisandre's just going to bring him back anyhow. He's not going to... That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. Okay, Jess, are you ready? I'm ready. Give it to me. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Give me an Sansa. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. What was it? I think it was Jamie, Brienne, and Sansa. Jamie, Brienne, and Sansa. Oh my god. I'm gonna fuck Jamie because, yeah, yeah, duh. Yeah. I'm gonna marry Brienne yeah. because, yeah, I mean, oh, duh. obviously. Yeah. And I have to kill Sansa. Sorry. No! You have to. No, I agree. You got it. That's the only way to go. <laughs> just you I and I have just to kill Thomas. You and I are just killing off these Stark kids, although not really a Stark kid, yeah. man. But- yeah. Well, see, I had to kill off Charmin, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about. Wait, have to go kill some Starks. That's just the way it goes. That's Who gave us one. these? The, yeah, yeah. This all makes sense it's now. Not. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, Before she wants to kill kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the app and have fun. We'll be missing you Tuesday night, lot. Oh, we miss you too, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Um, now, just to move along, I think Chicky wanted to talk about the the old manuscripts, but I'm not sure that we have time. This we yet. did Maybe get we it. We, yeah, we got like a thank you question about it. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Should we move along to the thank yous and Eon? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got the thank you. That anon. It says, "Hello, amazing ladies. I really love this podcast, and I have news that you might enjoy." Someone on Reddit has read the original Dance with Dragon manuscript, and this screenshot shows that George R. R. Martin had to put Zussie mentions in Jamie's chapter. I thought it important because I've seen a lot of anti-JB saying that Jamie still thinks about Cersei in A Dance with Dragons, and that's the proof he doesn't love Brienne. Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, we're definitely going to talk about the Cushing manuscript, I think, at some point. If not next week, the week after, whenever we have time. So, hang in there, Anon. Yeah. We'll get to it, I promise. We shall. Okay. Was that everything, Ian? Okay, I can't oh, We have you. one from Via14, LOL. You can't hear me? Uh, you keep kind of dropping out a little bit. Oh, Damn. I, I don't stress anyone else. I could read it. Yeah, I, I could read yeah, it. Yeah, do you want to? Sure. Um, well, so well. from Vaya, she just um, wishes us all a happy new year. Right back at you, buddy. Um, she said she had a great time listening to us in 2014 and um, that we were one of her favorite things of last year. Well, thank you very much. That's Aww. a lovely thing to say. Um, and she said she really um, doesn't know how she would have gotten through season four of Game of Thrones without us. I don't know how we would have gotten through that season without podcasts. So, yeah, no, we yep. agree with you, Vaya. Um, 
Um, anyway, she wishes us all the best for 2015. Thank you. Back at you. And she says she was way behind in the podcast episodes, but she's finally catching up. Um, and that they were all great as usual. And that they even tempted her to rewatch season one. Well, you should, you should, you should, Via. Everyone should rewatch season one. That's what I've decided after my rewatch. I don't know about the rest of you guys. I'm not entirely sure that the way we've been podcasting this season is encouraging people to go back and watch the episode. It may not be, but it might be healthy for all fans to go back and rewatch it. I'll just throw that out there. Okay, so <laughs> she says, but if she, she thinks if she did that it would tarnish her memories of it. Yeah, that's exactly it. She says, I want to remember it just as it was, bad wigs and all. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> some of her favorite moments from the podcast were our discussion of bra support in the veil. <laughs> and Kama's obsession with moon doors. <laughs> so, she wants to know if Kama ever got her diagram of the moon door. No. <laughs> no she and didn't. if anyone out there can do an architectural <laughs> rendering, I would love to see it. Thank you. Drawings, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Via 14 LOL. And who was the first one? Oh, that was an Anon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an Anon. It was an Anon. Oh, yeah. And um, we do have another one. Oh, yeah. Oh, what else do we have, Eon? There was one um, from a Crystal Rose 29. And yeah. it says... Can you hear me? Yes, we can, we can hear you. Okay. All right. It says, hi there. I just discovered our podcast this week and have been listening while I deliver newspapers. You, lo- you ladies are hilarious and intelligent. I learned something new. With each podcast about the world of ice and fire, I do have one tiny disagreement with you. I am a huge Danny fan, and your Uh-oh. Danny hatred has me arguing back and looking <laughs> like a crazy woman to my customers. <laughs> I feel that she is only a young girl and yeah. has to learn how to rule like the kiss-ass queen she is destined to become. <laughs> I think she meant kick ass. I think she's kind of correct. That's gotta be a phone thing, yeah. 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 Okay. Kick ass. She's a kick ass queen des- she's destined to become. While that learning process is slow in a book, it does make sense. Besides, we have to wait on her cabinet of relatives. My theories Tyrion is her half brother and John her nephew to make their way to her in some form. Anyway, just my opinion there. I feel better standing up for my queen. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. Oh, thanks. We're always happy to hear from Danny supporters. Uh, you guys might say- think we don't like you, but we do. We love to hear Danny support. We totally yes. do. Sorry, what was the name of the that person, Eon? Crystal, Crystal Rose 29. Okay. Oh, Crystal, I hope you enjoyed that. You know, we actually did appreciate Amelia's acting in this episode as well. Did we? Because we totally did. We oh. did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, good. Sure. <laughs> okay. We didn't sound like that. Doesn't sound so like right. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much, um, guys, for sending in your your messages of support. We've we've had a bit of a dry spell lately, so it's really lovely to kind of get three in a row. Oh, yeah. Um, and if anyone else would like to send us a review, a message, or even a question, we do love those. You can email us at closethedoorand at gmail.com. We also exist in the Tumblrverse at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. 
And so do we tweet. Find us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Uh, Lot also made sure to remind me that I need to mention iTunes. So if you would like to rate and review us on iTunes, especially if you're Australian, Lot will be able to stop throwing your <laughs> wine in my face. It's going to happen any day now. <laughs> And I think that brings us to the end. So I'd just like to thank this week's panel, especially our fantastic first-time guest, Jess. Thank Yay. you so much yeah, so for happy joining us. And a big shout-out to our first-time moderator, YD, who did an Yay. amazing job this week. Thank you very much, YD. Yeah. Great. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm yes. never doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, you guys were actually really fantastic. It was, uh, you made it easier for well, me. Well, we tried is... to be nice this week. Thank you so much. No, nice. thank you. Really, it was, we had some good discussions. So thank you, ladies. Um, so goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.